Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Playoffs? Did I hear the word playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at BetOnline have you covered. I'm a proud supporter of the Bay Area and all of its sports teams. Who are you rooting for? Take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm your host, Polina Edmonds, and today's episode, I'm going to be talking to my Olympic teammate, Ashley Wagner. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I was really pumped when you sent me the um, message on Instagram asking me to be a part of this. So thank you for having me. (laughs) It's really cool to see you literally going to school now. Yeah. That's so cool. Real life. I mean, it comes at you quite fast. I mean, I wonder if you feel this way too, but when I retired, it was just kind of like, okay, cool. I've done this one thing my entire life. What now? Exactly. It it kind of hits you with this feeling of not really being quite as confident with all of your next choices, just because in skating, we're trained to be as confident as possible. And we have all of these like hours of practices behind us to make us confident in what we're doing. But like when you step out of that, so different, just. Oh, you're totally just like a fish out of water. And I mean, I always thought that I was a really confident person, I didn't realize that my confidence came from, like you said, hours and hours and like decades of hard work. And I just kind of thought, oh no, I'm a confident person. That's not the work that I've put in to make me confident. So then when I kind of went into the real world and was doing things that I was so unfamiliar with, I didn't have that confidence. And it, I mean, my reality was completely shattered. No, exactly. Just with coronavirus hitting and all of the skaters needed to take time off. That was a really telling moment, I think, for a lot of people, just because everybody was forced off the ice for at least a month or two, I feel like. And everybody had to like learn how to live without skating. And that's just so taboo for yeah. any skater in our field at the level that we were, because you never really take time off. Well, that's not a reality that you're allowed to even imagine exists. I mean, I can't name a time in my career where I took two months off. I mean, I was lucky. I didn't have any insane injuries that I had to push through. Um, And even if I was injured, if a doctor's like, it would be best if you took two months off the ice to really let this recover, you say, okay, yeah. And then you leave the doctor's office and you're like, I'm not doing that. It just never was anything we did. It's so crazy for all of the skaters, and I really feel for them. Um, yeah. Glad to know most of them are back on the ice now, yeah. so they're they're getting back into the swing of things, which is cool. Yeah. But yeah, so let's talk about um, the Olympics first, then we'll get into all of the new stuff with living your new life, yeah. your best life. <laughs> um, yeah. So 2014, we have pretty opposite stories. So. Yeah. How many years did it take you to make the Olympic team from being on the senior level? Um, Being on the senior level, so I go way back in the sport, so sometimes I get everything mixed up. So I think by the time I was trying 
for my first Olympics, it was 2010. I'd been a senior level competitor for about two seasons at that point. Um, came pretty close, was first alternate. And then 2014 rolls around. And I mean, at that point, it's been about what, like five-ish seasons on the senior circuit. Uh, and it was a really intense process. I don't know if you felt this way, but for me, even though I was familiar with the whole process, I knew what to expect. Um, I knew that I was going to feel nervous. I knew that there was going to be a lot of pressure. Every single time you are vying for that spot on the Olympic team, you get into your position on the middle, in the middle of the ice. And you're just like, why am I doing this? <laughs> this is so scary. Totally. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear your perspective on that because for me, I like nobody pretty much knew who I was except for people in the junior ranks. So green. You were green. You were new. Yeah, exactly. And so the only pressure that I had really on my shoulders was coming from myself and my coaching team, but I didn't have the eyes of, and the expectation is really where the pressure Mm -hmm. comes from of basically the entire nation and all of us figure skating and everyone expects you to kind of podium and make the team and you're in the mix. And so I, I was like the underdog in that way, but it's totally different from somebody like you who's coming in with all of that expectation pressure as well as your own pressure. So, yeah, I mean, I was coming in as a, a two time national champion. Uh, At that point, internationally, I had been the most successful U.S. lady for a couple of seasons, and uh, I was absolutely expected to be on that team. And, you know, my process to get to the Olympics was not a fun one. I I wouldn't recommend it. Zero stars. Horrible review, but (laughs) wouldn't really recommend it for anyone. But I had a ton of pressure because, I mean, I didn't want to go through the process of getting so close to making it onto that Olympic team and just not quite being good enough. And I don't think that I was completely prepared to be dealing with those demons chasing after me on top of the pressure that I felt from NBC, where I was being promoted and pitched as one of the ladies to expect at the Olympics and just so many other outside opinions and voices. And it felt crushing and when I stood in the middle of the ice and it was my free program and I knew this was do or die that pressure was so tangible uh and I I skated with that the entire program and it was a horrible program because I was just overwhelmed your entire four years so to speak and every single practice and every competition beforehand it feels like it all just shrinks into that four minute program and it's Oh, does. It's it's crazy. I think a lot yeah. of spectators, they just, they can never grasp the enormity of it and how like terrifying right before our music plays really is. Yeah. And I mean, like, crazy. I feel like people throw out the word terrifying, you know, just kind of like laissez-faire, but it's absolute terror. It's act like I was yeah. actually <laughs> scared. I stepped out onto the ice, the door shut behind me. And I just remember looking back and being like, I don't no, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to do this. It's actually here. (laughs) Totally. I always get kind of antsy when I'm hearing scores too, right before me, because 
even though I'm trying really hard to block it out and like not listen to it, if you hear a low score or a high score, both are equally just not good to hear because in one way it's like if somebody skated really well right before you, you want to kind of build off that momentum. But also if you hear a low score, you don't really know if that skater actually performed poorly or not. Like it could have just been the skating politics of maybe they did well, but they weren't loved so much by the judges. Being set up. And so you just have no idea. You like, it freaks you out. And I I definitely felt that way before um, the long program in Boston because I was very new. So I felt like I wouldn't have any love from the judges unless I skated well. And so to hear kind of lower scores before mine, I was so nervous that like any mistake, I was just going to be like down. (laughs) Right, exactly. Oh my God. I can totally relate to that. I I mean, those are that uncertainty that comes along with I mean, there are so many little steps in competition that unless you've physically experienced it, like no one would ever think of that. But hearing the scores, high or low, it's going to make you feel a certain kind of way. And it also depends on like how your six minute warm up went. And if you hear a high score, sometimes I would skate after Gracie and Gracie would just absolutely crush it. And I would hear her high score. And sometimes I'd be like, let's go, I'm ready. And sometimes I'd be like, Oh, yeah. It really depends. So you were fourth, but you were selected for the team. Basically, the whole talk around it was the working ethic, right? So your previous four years um, spoke to your selection and you were the most successful international lady skater that we had. So um, it made sense in so many ways for you to be selected. But still, a lot of people don't quite understand that because a lot of for them, the podium is the set mark. But How did you feel about that when you were selected because of your work ethic? You know, I, I understood that it was going to be a really complicated process. Skating does have a lot of like four year fans where they tune in Olympic season and they just kind of go off of what they see in front of them. So as far as the public being confused about it, I think that that's completely understandable. That being said, I was chosen for a reason. And I think where I get frustrated is more in that, you know, I was receiving death threats. I was, uh, it was a horrible experience for me. It was just like, you know, I've really put in the work too. And I didn't show up on the day that I was expected to, but that's also why we have multiple criteria put in place. And when you look at everything that is being asked of the ladies who are going to be named to the team, I hit the majority of the criteria to justify overlooking a subpar national performance. So, I mean, I'm really thankful that I put in the work and it paid off for me. It did take away from my Olympic experience, but also I have no one to blame for that but myself because I was the one who skated that program. So, it's, I'm always going to look back on that process and have mixed emotions. It was a lot. It was definitely something I wasn't prepared for. But at the end of the day, I do feel that I was named to the Olympic team and I deserved my spot because of the criteria. And we're trying to peak for the Olympics in a month, not right. the national. Yeah, that's a great point. How did you feel about me being on the team, being super new? I was excited for you. I I think that looking back on this Olympic experience, part of me was like, oh my God, Twitter wants to kill me. I have to figure out how to, I had to create an entirely new free skate. And then I look over at you and I'm like, 
who is this girl with her braids <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and her competition exactly. practice dresses <laughs> and what are we going to do with her? I mean, it was just really exciting because I think the great thing about this team that was selected, it was a wide range of athletes. You had someone like me who was the veteran who had been around for a while. You had Gracie who was like really having her moment right then and there. And then we had someone like you who was showing the promise that the U.S. had to offer with the ladies coming up and to bet on you at the Olympics. Like that was really cool to see that U.S. figure skating was also looking to the future. I thought that was a really interesting and exciting pick. Yeah, totally. I think our Sochi team in particular uh, was just the best team that we could have had in terms of camaraderie. Um, I felt yeah. I felt super included in everything, which was cool. But really, I was I was shocked. Like we had a group chat before where yeah. we were sending dog photos, and everyone was getting Olympic onesies, and um, it just felt like a family, yeah. which I don't know if every team feels like that. So I'm, I'm so happy that like, that was what our team was. Yeah. I also think that team USA, every, every team has their flaws, but that era of team USA, everyone was just a good egg. Like I felt the, I felt the yeah. same way. I really felt like I was going into the Olympics with my family and also because it was the first Olympic event where we were going to have the team event, which for figure skating, we don't compete as a team. We're not used to that at all. So to be able to kind of, you know, whether you ended up physically competing in the team event or not, to be able to create that sense of family, like we're all in this together, we're going to the Olympics, we're representing our country together. I think that that was a really special part of that whole experience. I was in Austria at the time that you guys were all doing the team event. And so it was really cool for me to be watching on TV and see everybody going crazy in the kiss and cry because kiss and cry is another daunting um, like area in skating because it's, it's simply you and your coach and you're just so scared of whatever's going to come up in the score. But yeah. And a microphone. Yeah. The fact that they have, I miked honestly is insane. Exactly. Like you can't even, you can't even trust yourself to speak in front of, because everybody can hear what you're about to say. So um, yeah, but to, to watch everybody um, cheering each other on and having the Olympic flags and everything like that was really cool. And that was hyping me up. I felt like a lot because I hadn't even been to Sochi yet at that point. And, and so that just made me feel like when I get there, yeah. it's just going to be like a huge yeah I, I could imagine yeah so how did you like Sochi what was your experience it was truly most likely one of the last exper Olympic experiences of its kind I think the way that the Olympics are being put together today like you have to think about sustainability you have to have a plan for what's going to happen to the Olympic Park afterwards uh, a lot of them are in big cities so you have to repurpose a lot of things Sochi was literally just like, they came into this little town. I mean, I was there for the test event a year prior and they hadn't completely finished the venue, but there were like little babushka's houses like in the middle of the Olympic venue with like their husband's undies hanging out, drawing on a line. And then I came back a year later and it was completely gone. So, I mean, like they seriously just totally put this Olympic village in the middle of just the Russian waterfront. I mean, it was beautiful, but I think the fact that they created this environment where it was literally just an Olympic bubble. We were not in a city. I didn't see anything other than the Olympic venue for the most part. Yeah, It was amazing. I loved every single second of that experience. 
Totally. Did you get to see other villages other than our coastal village or did you only see our coastal village? Um, well, the ladies event is tough because we're at the very end. So I, I remember, um, cause I'm really good friends with Marissa Castelli. And so the pairs were done like day one of the Olympics. Like they genuinely, they did the team event, they did their back-to-back event and they were out. And so I remember Marissa was just like, gallivanting around Sochi and I was so jealous because she was getting to like really see the Olympics I made it a point after I finished competing because I think we had maybe two more days after our event finished that we could like actually go see the Olympics um I made sure to get up to the mountain village and see everything up there I went up to watch bobsledding and just like see some of the cool sports that they had to offer up there but I really only got to explore anywhere other than our little bubble for one day. Yeah, it's crazy. That's like the only drawback of being a figure skater at the Olympics. Like in one way, it's it's totally the best because it's kind of like gymnastics in the Summer Olympics where it's the pretty sport that everybody tunes in. Yeah, you're, the, you're one of the marquee events. Exactly. But at the same time, we're at the very end. So we really don't get to explore and experience the fun part of it as much as yeah. other athletes who are earlier in the weeks yeah did you eat mcdonald's when you were there because that there's no (laughs) mcdonald's anymore but i do remember all of the athletes were just eating all this mcdonald's and i was definitely one of them (laughs) oh my god so i didn't eat mcdonald's until i was done competing but i remember i had my eyes set on just like some chicken nuggets and some French fries and I order some and it's like later at night and I'm in the cafeteria uh, and I'm eating with Eric Radford, I think. And so I am sitting and then the US ladies hockey team comes in and they had just lost their uh, championship event. And of course, McDonald's was like shut down by then. And I felt so bad for them and they were (laughs) devastated. Um, So I gave them my fries. So I had a couple of chicken nuggets and then I ended up giving the rest of my McDonald's to the U.S. women's hockey team because they needed it more than me. (laughs) I went, I got the pizza stand daily over there. There was like this personal pizza stand and the guy was so nice and he knew that I liked Hawaiian pizza. And so every day at lunch, I'd walk over and he'd be like, hey, I made you some Hawaiian pizza. And that's, that's my sweet. experience in a nutshell. <laughs> that's hilarious. I know, but he was the kind of- I honestly, I think <laughs> with a lot of the, the fast food that they were giving us and the McDonald's specifically, I felt like it was way healthier than our US McDonald's. Like it was- I mean, Russia has pretty intense yeah. like GMO food law. I just truly feel- a lot of the food was just better. Yeah. Period. Really nice for us because, yeah, definitely hit that quite a few times. I actually, we have a really amazing hockey player for the Sharks at the time. Um, he moved to the Stars, I think, but his name was Pavelski. So he was on the US hockey team. And I hadn't met him in person yet, but he found me before the long program when I was in line at McDonald's. So I was I like. <laughs> McDonald's before your free skate? I literally, I think David had a picture of me on the bus, like, and I have, like, a chicken wrap or something from McDonald's. And a- You're wild. Did Dina know about that? No, because she wasn't, she wasn't there. She wasn't the coach with me <laughs> in the village. So I, I yeah. took advantage of everything I could with that. But 
Um, no, it, it was totally not a big deal for me at the time because I was like a stick versus now I would not, definitely not do that. Just wouldn't work for me anymore. I would, li- I would never, I would never. You're There's wild. too many, but. <laughs> oh, um, can you figure out how to say this without, you know, like really saying it? How can I explain this? It drives me crazy that there is one Russian judge, but in reality, it's not one Russian judge. It's like five Russian judges because you get loyalty from other like Russian-ish territories. That I wish I could change because that's where I think most politics are played. Kind of like a mafia in a way because they, they pick teams yeah absolutely absolutely Uh. you shouldn't be and i mean i'm not just saying russia does this everyone does this but like you shouldn't be bargaining and bartering backstage before the event like the rule should be what you see is what you judge and that's it and it definitely does not seem like it ends up that way a lot of the time so i mean like look at dance like if you if you can't believe that that exists in singles or pairs fine look at dance I rest my case. Absolutely. Do the research. Well, okay. So as I said earlier, I really respect how you're going back to school now for your interests. So let's talk about your transition out of sport. What happened after 2018? Yeah. So 2018 wrapped up. So at nationals, I was not named to the Olympic team. And then there is always the like gala exhibition afterwards. And I just remember at that point being so tired. I was just, I was exhausted. And God bless this woman. Her name is Mia Corsini. And she is just like queen bee at US figure skating. She really like helps run the show. And she just looked at me and she's like, you don't have to skate in this. You can go home if you want. And so I rented a car because that national championships was in San Jose and I was living in LA and I was just like, I don't want to stay here. I don't want everyone to look at me and be sad. Um, I don't want to have those conversations like peace out. I just need to like have a moody drive down the California coastline and think about my life. And so when I got home, I'm just kind of looking around and realizing as the weeks go on that if I want to make a new life for myself or start a new chapter, I can't do that in the bones of my old life. California never really felt like home to me. Um, I didn't make a life there because all I was doing was training. Like people ask me what my favorite things to do in LA are. And I really can't tell you because all I did was go to the rink and go home. So I called up Marissa Castelli, uh, who we were all on the same Olympic team with, and asked her if I could come visit her. And she lives in uh, Rhode Island. And so I just came out and coached with her a little bit and realized I really liked the New England area and just decided, all right, I need to change. I need to go somewhere. I miss the East Coast because I grew up on the East Coast uh, and literally packed my bags and moved to Boston. And so I guess... You know, my transition out of skating was not linear as much as I wanted it to be. I wanted to just stop skating and know what I wanted to do. But I realized, like, I don't know anything about myself. So how can I even choose a direction when I can't tell you what I even enjoy doing? So the year after the Olympics, I told myself I was going to say yes to every single opportunity that came my way. 
Uh, and then through that process, I figured out what I liked and what I didn't like. Uh, but the way that I ended up deciding to go to school, so I retired. And one thing that not a lot of athletes talk about is that post-retirement depression that a lot of people experience. And so I, I was really unhappy. I could barely get out of bed. I was absolutely depressed. And so I sought out therapy to just kind of help me work through that process. And in therapy, I realized flipping the roles, I really liked what my therapist was doing for me. I liked how it made me feel. I liked how she felt mm, kind of like a coach, but in life and how to kind of coach me through my own emotions and feelings. So I just started talking to the woman that I was working with and asked her about her process and decided that if I wanted to do something that felt stable, because you can coach, but I just, for me, I like doing that, but I don't know if it feels like the most stable life for me forever. Um, I knew I had to go back to school. So I started applying and I took a couple of classes at Penn State and then realized, all right, online school is not for me. I really want to go in person, uh, applied to Northeastern and then the pandemic hit. And so I'm still going online. Dang. At least I um, am really close to my school now. Very true. And I mean, hopefully, hopefully next year we'll see uh, classes will resume in person again. Um, I super lucked out. My only two months of online classes were in the spring when it first hit and then I graduated but my little brother just started college actually University of Washington and it's crazy like all of his friends are home none of them went off yeah. because they can't go live in the dorm like yeah exactly it's I it's mean, so yeah, it's, it's crazy how everything got flipped <laughs> but yeah no I think kind of what you were talking about with the uh, post-career depression type thing it it's really about how when we stop our sport the structure just kind of gets ripped out of our life yeah. essentially and yeah. it's fun for a little bit because you have all this free time you didn't have before but then it really starts to settle in that you don't really have a specific purpose and yes. that's really hard to cope with when when you're skating or when you're doing any other sport every single day there's meaning to it you have to go to the rink to train you have to do x y and z um to make that day count towards yeah. your athletic career and when that's just gone it it's really hard to flip a switch and just throw yourself into something else because uh, we don't really have a lot of resources to be able to do that we don't have jobs lined up for us when we stop skating or stop any sport and it's really interesting because I, I remember talking to um, a Chinese skater Zijin Lee and also um, Korean Soyeon Park back like I don't, some Grand Prix probably in China. And so like five or six years ago, and they were telling me that they stopped going to school after I think like 10 years old or something like that. They, they hadn't been to school in like eight years is what they told me. And I was like, well, what are you going to do when you stop skating? And they didn't have an answer for me. They just, they said like, hopefully we like get a job in the government. And I was like, right, like what? What's that? it's, yeah. but yeah, but we don't have any like structure like that. Like where, I mean, they probably get jobs in the government. I, I don't know exactly what their thing is, but yeah, I mean, I think in some countries there's a little bit more of a feeder system. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if you get like the Italian team, uh, in order to get any kind of Olympic funding, you have to um, work for the, I believe it's the police or maybe it's the military. So, I mean, every country has a different way of going about it. The U.S. is very 
hands off. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to the next chapter, they are way too hands on when it comes to like what you're doing day to day. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you retire, they're like, this was fun. Hope you're right. <laughs> Bye. Exactly. I mean, like when you kind of took a step back from skating, the number of U.S. officials or anyone in U.S. figure skating that you've heard of, like, could you really even count it on one hand? Because I can't. Same. No. I, yeah, yeah no. I didn't have any outreach, like, personally. But what do you think can even be done about that? Because I know a lot of skaters, particularly in shoes like, we are right now where we're not competitively skating. What can U.S. figure skating do? Or like, what could we do? Do you think it would be better for U.S. figure skating to create an outreach program? Or should it be something more that athletes in the community like start? At this point, kind of has to be athletes in the community. Because if you bring this problem to U.S. figure skating, which I have done, I have gone to them and been like, retirement is too hard for your athletes that you promote for I mean, for me, like over a decade, like if you are making money off of these athletes yeah. who are giving their like lives to you, there is some responsibility in making sure that they are okay after they're not working for you. I mean, it is inherently different, but a lot of like companies have retirement programs or plans or something like that and at least resources. And so when I went to them with this huge problem, they said, yeah, well, you know, the USOC offers the ACE program and Yes, there is a program in place for that. Is it a quality program? No. Is it good enough for someone who has dedicated their life to the sport and gotten to the Olympic level or gotten close? No. So I think at this point, it has to come down to athletes demanding more, athletes coming up with a plan of what they need and what they expect. Because, I mean, when you look at the facts, you see these I mean, U.S. figure skating, it's basically a corporation. And if you are profiting off of people who are working for you and then all of a sudden, you know, they can't compete for you anymore and you just take your hands away from this mess and you're like, well, too messy. This isn't for me. It feels irresponsible. And I think that a lot of athletes, I mean, all athletes deserve a lot more support in retirement or figuring out what their next steps are. Keeping up with what athletes are doing and like how they're doing is really important just because exactly we have so many athletes with mental health issues like when they're retired because they don't know like how to transition we just don't get the help with it but also it's that whole point that you were kind of making of they care about us like when we're in the game and they want all the success out of us that they can get but then as soon as we start to transition they don't care about like other kinds of success that we can have in a lot of ways, yeah. more important success because it, it comes with our well-being. And I think yeah. that's an issue that needs to be brought to more attention and have um, these people in positions of high power start to try to help in ways that they can. Yeah. And I mean, like the way that I see it, I understand that your focus can't stay on someone that's not working for you anymore. That makes sense. But I also think that a sport is inherently healthier when older generations of athletes continue to come back into the sport. Because if you are burning out athletes and, and running through athletes, and then they're so done and bitter and angry towards the sport that they want nothing to do with it, that's not a healthy, like full life cycle of 
an athlete's potential career and it ends up just harming the sport as a whole more than anything else. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think a lot of kids who are watching the sport and looking up to um, us as skaters, when they start to get to the higher levels, we don't have a lot of word of those same athletes when they're gone. And actually one thing that I had touched on in my previous podcast, I'll bring up with you because I think you know a lot about this topic. Uh, so body image, right? I think currently with the the fact that more um, older generation skaters are kind of, they're not being on top anymore, um, which was a complete flip. I felt like when I was the 15-year-old, um, I was against all these great skaters like Yuna Kim and Malasada and competing with you and yeah. Gracie, you guys were older. It was very much like this womanly sport. And I was like, I got to wait my turn. I got to become a butterfly. I'm still a caterpillar <laughs> right now. But now like it's, it's flipped. Like we're, we're seeing really, really short careers of tiny skaters who once they start going through puberty, they're just gone. And I, I feel like it kind of has a negative effect on a lot of young skaters who are coming up today because it creates this mindset of my career is going to be the best before puberty. And then after that, like, I'm going to have to like give it up because we're not seeing as many skaters post puberty, like being on top anymore. And I feel like that is in tune, yeah. making people try to mm -hmm. be smaller and really pay attention to body type and like trying to be like this tiny ballerina when in reality we come in all shapes and sizes and it, it shouldn't be about trying to be small. It should be about yeah. being as strong as you can be yeah. to be able to nail every element. Right. So what are your thoughts on? Well, I think that it's kind of a two pronged answer. I think that there is, it's problematic for so many reasons, but if you want to look at, because a lot of decisions in skating are made based on money to be made. I, I, like as much as we want to say it's about the sport. Um, when I went to the Olympics in 2018, I, I went to cover the Olympics. I saw the other side of it and I just realized it's not about the athletes. It's about the companies and the money that goes into it. So decisions in sport more often than not are made because of financial reasons. So if you want to look at it that way, if you have these athletes who have about a two to three season lifespan, you are not going to get a fan base that can follow them. The reason why Michelle Kwan was so amazing for, I mean, millions of reasons, but she was a familiar face. You cheered for Michelle Kwan because you knew who she was. You had been watching her on your screen for years and she was just reliable. You, you knew what to expect from her. When you have this, when skating is the way that it is right now where these athletes just don't have that longevity, you're not going to get a fan base because who's going to follow a sport where the girl that you really, really, really like and think is so, so amazing is going to disappear in a season. You just don't know. And so I don't think it's smart to allow the sport to continue in this direction for that reason, but also because it's unhealthy, it's inherently damaging to these athletes. And I think that, you know, this kind of trajectory is still fairly ish new in skating, but the long-term effects of putting out, 14, 15, 16 year olds and putting them under that intense media pressure. And then as soon as they gain weight and as soon as they go through puberty and they're just not physically capable of doing the same things, they lose attention, they lose relevance. That affects someone long-term. 
that's something that isn't just like, oh, sad for them. No, that really messes up with a human being's self-esteem and self-worth. So I think it's just really irresponsible to allow the sport to go in this direction for much longer. I love watching women push boundaries. I love watching quads. I don't want to take away from that because I think that is so cool. I think the age needs to be lifted. I think 18, I mean, that's wild, but like 17, 18 needs to be the senior limit because it's also starting to kind of turn into, when you think about what people want to watch, people want to watch a woman on the ice. Uh, I think that a lot of successful athletes in skating, figure skating is inherently beautiful. And these younger talented athletes are beautiful skaters, but I watch it and I sometimes just feel irresponsible watching it because for me, I'm like, I, I feel like I'm watching a really slow car crash because you just know it's going to blow up and you know that someone's going to end up getting hurt. And I care about these younger athletes as human beings, not for the quads that they're doing, but for the futures that they have set up in front of them. So, I mean, obviously I have thoughts, obviously I have some pretty intense thoughts, but I think that all of this could, it can continue this way fine, but I think for it to be a little bit healthier we would need to raise the age limit for men and women to be able to compete at the senior level. Totally. I think, I think it's also protective of the athletes because as we're seeing, um, you know, so many really young teenagers be progressing the sport with quads and whatnot. Um, it's, it's also, it could be really dangerous for their growth and development. They could get injured. And when they do start going through puberty, all of those aches and everything, they start to really come at you full force. And if, if they're being encouraged with, you know, I, I literally on Facebook, I saw a 10 year old doing a triple axel like yesterday, which is amazing. Like, yes, absolutely amazing. like, but, but I just think that you can't watch this sport and not acknowledge that a body before puberty and a body after puberty are two different bodies and they're capable of two different things. And so exactly when I watch Elizaveta took to Mishiva, I'm like, you go queen, you have boobs, you have hips, you've gone through puberty and you're still going out and doing triple axles to me. That's impressive. And I really admire her for that. Um, Totally. Yeah. I think as an athlete, maybe you feel this way too, but like, you know what it's like, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to have Twitter talk about your body. And so I think as a kid, when you're like 14 and you're starting to go through puberty and all of a sudden, like you have boobs and all of a sudden, like strangers are talking about the fact that you have boobs, like that's not normal. That's not healthy. No. And it's, it's also, it's not productive at all to, um, their growth in skating because they're going to be going through these, these hardships where maybe it is going to take a year or two for them to kind of get all their levels back Mm -hmm. on track and then be able to keep going. But there's, there's people all over the internet and all these fans who are always talking about how, Oh, like, yep, she's growing. She's not the skater she used to be. Yeah. Like, bye-bye. And it's, that's just, that's horrible. Yeah. So And these are, these are underage kids. These are minors. These aren't adults that, you know, have a little bit more brain development. I'm like, I'm pretty sure your brain doesn't develop until you're 25. So even skaters in their twenties, like that's, it's not okay. Yeah, no, it's not. I, I, you're right. Like when people start talking about kids' bodies, I'm like, you realize that like, it's a kid. No, it's, it's, and especially in the age that we are today, like at least like, you know, a decade or two ago, there wasn't 
social media and there wasn't um, all these different internet platforms where we could see exactly what people were saying about us. Like that is a, that's a key difference. And that goes a lot to show with how many mental health issues we have now too. It hasn't always been like this is the thing. Like maybe fans have always been saying this since, you know, like decades and decades ago, but it hasn't been public. It's the thing. That's the difference. Um, So yeah. Okay. Final things. I have a few questions from people on Instagram. So we'll ask you some good ones. So if you got to relive the games, what is one thing you would do differently? Oh, um, I met my ex at the games and he was a nightmare. So I guess I would go back in history and be like, don't do it. (laughs) But other than that, oh no. Other than that, I kid. Um, Everything happens for a reason. I would just say that I wish I could go back in time and say, relax and soak it up a little bit more because it's just the Olympics and it seems like a really, really big thing, but it's just another competition. The pressure, that's what gets you every time. Okay, who's the skater that you looked up to that you competed against? Carolina Costner. Yeah. Queen. Legend. Love her. She, I was in a locker room with her at Worlds and she was just like reading up on Tai Chi. And I'm just like, Carolina, what are you reading? And she's like, Tai Chi, you should never stop learning. And I'm just like, you are fabulous. Your legs go on forever. I love everything about you and you're the nicest person. So I would say just Carolina because of how she skated, how she trained and how she always kept on raising the bar for herself. She was already, I already knew her when I was like very little and I would watch her on TV. So it was super weird to all of a sudden be in the locker room with all these ladies they were all so nice I think that's like that's the craziest thing to me probably when I look back on um everything is just to know that like sitting in the locker room there was never any kind of snobby behavior or anything like that no I don't think there's it's great yeah people like to imagine that there's so much animosity in the locker room when in reality everyone's pretty terrified themselves and everyone's just it's quiet yeah Exactly. And then afterwards, everybody is like pretty much friends. There's there's really never any issues between skaters that come from just them. Like if you performed well or you didn't perform well, it's it's a you problem. It's not, not mad at other skaters. I think the only issues that cause some sense of resentment is only like skating politics when those get involved in like, yeah. then you're just- Yeah, like, like rivalry. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, yeah, like I've mentioned this, Gracie's mentioned this. We went through a period where we were not friends at all. I mean, I think once we both took a step away from skating, it was like, oh, it's just skating and we're letting- media get in between us but I mean for the most part I think everyone's just like it was good it was bad it was me like (laughs) (laughs) exactly what was your training schedule like right before the Olympics like was it different than your normal like year training or was it yeah it was um right before the Olympics because I went to nationals and before I got out on the ice at nationals I was like Rafa can't feel my legs And uh, so his mentality training me for the Olympics was we're going to train you to the point where you're so tired that you can't feel your legs. And that's where your training day starts. So was that psychotic? Yes. (laughs) Did it make me feel at least a little bit more comfortable at the Olympics? Yes. So I would say we doubled the amount of time that I was on the ice and the run-throughs and the number of sections that I did went up as well. Yeah, totally. I remember doing like way more double run-throughs than I ever thought was needed. And (laughs) it wasn't fun. I can tell you that, but at least, at least in the moment at the competition, I was like, all right, at least I'm not as tired as the second run-through. Yeah, at least I can handle this. (laughs) Exactly. 
thank God we were at sea level. I will say I'm oh, so glad. Oh, altitude, I'm out. No, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> just not a vibe. Do you have like a specific regret in your career? And then what is your favorite moment in your career? Ooh, um, I always try to live my life without regrets, but my one regret that I do have, 2018 season, everything just felt upside down and backwards. And I got La La Land choreographed at the top of the season and I just didn't trust it and I didn't feel confident in it. And so I went back to Moulin Rouge and at that point, like, I know that everyone else was sick of Moulin Rouge, but like I was more sick of Moulin Rouge than anyone else listening to it. And I think that that really kind of held me back that season. And then by the time I got to nationals, I was just like, screw it. I'm going to do this program. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to believe in what I originally saw with this piece of music. And I was able to end out my career with a standing ovation in a program that felt magical to me. So like a regret kind of, but I still ended up kind of bringing it to where it needed to go. Um, and then favorite moments. I mean, I think the easiest one to kind of look to would be my 2016 world, my free skate where I know, like I landed my last triple X and I knew at that point that I had gotten onto the podium. I thought I was going to be third. And then so seeing when I was second, I thought my soul was just like, you've accomplished everything you're going to accomplish in this sport. You did it. Congrats. Like soak it in. And that was a really good feeling. Yeah. I remember being in the arena during that and it was, it was so electric just from, from an audience standpoint, like the energy yeah. was crazy. Yeah. It was old school skating. The, it was, you could feel the energy in that rink and it was really, I'm so grateful for that moment in my career. Definitely one of the top five moments of like, for me being in an audience, I remember specifically, I think one of the first times I felt really into skaters performance was actually Rachel flat in 2011. Oh, yes. enough, she had this like crazy short program that like, if you were there in person, it, yeah, it was unreal. And then it, it was crazy. Cause when you watch it on TV or if you like pull up a YouTube video, you just don't get the same effect. It, it yeah. you have to be no, there. Yeah. Be so live. I felt that with her, I felt that with Carolina Kostner in Sochi during her short program. And then I felt that mm-hmm. with you too, for your long program. So really, really cool experience for sure. Yeah. Last question mm-hmm. is a question I have for you. So now that you're done with skating and like now that you're exploring school and everything like that, do you refer being an Olympian? Is that a part of your identity that you like to share with people or talk about? Or is that something that you kind of, I don't want to like only be known as this Olympic skater. I'm Ashley. Yeah. I don't talk about it. And I think that that might just be a little bit of my own like personal journey where I think that I need to develop more of me outside of the sport before I get to a point where I'm excited to share that part of me. Uh, But I think for so long, I was only defined by my athletic ability and I realized that, you know, that was nice, but that was only going to take me so far in life. So I really challenged myself to create something outside of my sport. I mean, my house, there's literally nothing, no skating paraphernalia. There's nothing up. I have a box of medals and trophies and things like that. And, you know, every now and then one of my friends will come across it and they're like, you should put all of this up. It's really cool. And I just, I don't, I'm not there yet. I'm not ready to kind of blend my two lives yet because my own personal life isn't developed enough yet. Totally. I I felt, especially when I went to college, because I was in high school when obviously the Olympics happened and that shift happened. And then 
everybody mm-hmm. in my hometown like knew who I was. Yeah. Going to college, it was really interesting because a lot of people love that fact and a lot of people knew that I was an Olympian, but I would yeah. never ever bring it up in terms of talking to people or becoming friends. And some people I when I talk to about this, they're kind of surprised cuz it's like, a, "Oh, like you should be so proud thing." But for me, I really felt like I wanted people to be friends with me because they liked me as a person and that they valued my company, not because I was their friend who was an Olympian, but instead like I'm Paulina and she's really funny or, you know, whatever. So yeah, like you didn't want a a tchotchke in someone's life. Totally. And I mean, your experience was also at a really weird transitional time in life where you're going into school and then you're having to create these relationships. And I would absolutely, if I were in your shoes, be like, is this person interested in getting to know me? Or is it just like really cool that I went to the Olympics and they want like that person in their life? Because I just, you don't want to have to show up as the Olympic figure skater every single day. That's exhausting and just not fair to who you are as a person. I learned a lot about myself in terms of trust very early on um, because you, you know, with anybody, like you never know yeah. like yeah. what they're looking for in terms of who you talk to or anything. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to uh, be going through that. But yeah, cool. So thank you so much for getting on this podcast today. That was really fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow me on my Instagram, Paulina Edmonds. That's where I'm promoting this. And let me know what you think of this episode. Let me know of future topics or issues that you want me to talk about. And I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.